Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we're going to focus on ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. The CDC Kaiser ACE study found that as the number of ACEs increases, so does the risk for negative outcomes, which includes behavioral, physical, and mental health outcomes. So today we're diving into what ACEs are and how we can help interrupt the negative biological outcomes that were found. We're talking with Dr. Shapiro, Director of Cincinnati Children's Marison Center for Safe and Healthy Children and Executive Director of Joining Forces for Children. Dr. Shapiro, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Before we get started, um, could you just let us know a little bit about the work that you've done and a bit of your background? Sure. So I'm a pediatrician at Cincinnati Children's, and I've done lots of things during my career. One of them was learning how to recognize child abuse when kids were brought into our emergency department. And through that work, I became really fascinated by how growing up with adversity and child abuse is one of those types of adversities can really have profound effects and cause profound changes on how a child's brain is developed, how a person ends up seeing the world, and what that eventually may mean for their health during childhood and indeed throughout uh, their entire life. To kind of expand on that, what led you to this line of work? The reason I became really interested in learning about adverse childhood experiences and finding ways to intervene so that we could have a positive impact on kids' lives is because when we discovered that this was actually a biologic phenomenon, it really turned the world upside down for me. Instead of just how you're treated and what you learn in life and what you experience in life and how that might um, serve to make you into the person that you are as an adult, we actually know now that there's a lot of biology. And you know, when we talk about biology and when you're a doctor, the two really mesh mesh really well. And so for me, learning that the experiences that a child grows up with causes biologic changes in that child's DNA, in that child's brain structure, and in other ways in which we all need to keep ourselves healthy. It became really a priority for me as a pediatrician to address it, to teach others about it, and to see if we can't really change the equation in which children learn and grow within our community so that their health outcomes and their life outcomes are improved. So the Mayerson Center provides a wide variety of different services. Can you give us a brief overview of the work you do there? Well, the Mayerson Center was created to address child abuse and neglect. 
And that's specifically what we do. And so the Mayerson Center um, staff are all specialists in abuse and neglect. So our physicians, our nurses, our social workers, um, our psychologists, all are uh, trained and educated and experienced in abuse and neglect. And so in the Mayerson Center, we specifically have um, uh, clinical operations where children come when there are concerns that maybe they were victims or have are being victimized by abuse and neglect, we evaluate and treat them there. Okay. And then how about joining forces? Would you want to give us a brief explanation of joining forces and how that came to be? Nancy, it's an interesting um, <laughs> connection between the Marathon Center and joining forces in terms of why we belong uh, together. The Marathon Center uh, approaches child abuse diagnosis and treatment in a very multidisciplinary way. And so not only does the staff within the hospital work, but we also join forces with social workers, caseworkers, law enforcement, so that together collectively, we can determine the risk to a child to help make a diagnosis when one can be made and to provide safety and treatment. Joining Forces is also a collaboration of multiple organizations and subspecialists. And Joining Forces addresses specifically adversity, but on a much larger scale than the Mayerson Center. The Mayerson Center is specifically tuned to address child abuse and neglect. Joining Forces looks at all types of adversity, the 10 original ACEs, but also a far more expanded definition of ACEs, recognizing that the stress that a child feels and experiences while growing up can have these biologic impacts. And so together, let's learn how to recognize these adversities and let's learn together how to create supports around families and around children so that the adversities that a child experiences does not need to lead to biologic consequences. Okay. So you talk, when you're talking about that, you're talking about um, uh, adverse uh, childhood experiences. Can you give a more of an explanation for our audience about what that means and what the outcomes of, of ACEs are on their long-term health? Adverse childhood experiences is a term that was coined a little over 20 years ago by Dr. Ben Spilitti and Robert Anda. They did a landmark study um, in California, where they learned from their adult patients about their childhood, and they compared their childhood experiences to their health as adults, and also their health risk behaviors. You know, do they smoke? Do they exercise? Do they have a good diet? And they learned, to their surprise, that what happened during childhood had a direct effect later on in life in terms of whether someone can practice healthy behaviors and whether someone is likely to have cancer, um, have lung disease, have heart disease, um, what their lifespan might be even. And they were the first to create this connection between events happening during childhood and lifelong effects. When they did this study, it was just an association. They didn't have any way of connecting why these adversities led to these lifelong effects. 
15, 20 years after their initial study, investigators tied stress to these outcomes. They began to coin terms describing good stress, tolerable stress, and toxic stress. And that's where this term toxic stress comes from. And in a nutshell, if a child experiences too much stress, too often, with too great an intensity, it's gonna change that child to really adapt to the environment in which the child lives. The adaptation helps the child survive, to be tough, to look for danger, to stay safe, to survive. But it has um, other effects such as making it more difficult to learn in a classroom, making it more difficult to pay attention to multitask. It makes it more difficult to not be triggered by events, but in fact, to analyze and use executive functioning to determine um, other uh, recourses other than, say, fighting back. And these are the brain changes that occur from toxic stress. Toxic stress also changes the way our body can fight off disease and stay healthy. And as an outcome of this, we have increased rates of cancer and increased risk of heart disease. And these um, diseases and these poor health outcomes are not a consequence of whether someone exercises or whether they eat healthily, but it actually has changed their body's immune system and also has caused their own DNA to really uh, create a different set of instructions. And so we've learned that experiencing too much stress without relief during childhood has nothing short of profound consequences for the success of an individual and the well-being of us as a society. At the very beginning, when you started talking about ACEs and the original study, you said there's um, certain childhood experiences that were outside of the original eight or 10. I can't remember exactly. Could you talk a little bit just for our listeners about what those original eight were and what have been added? Sure. Um, what Dr. Felitti told me was that the 10 ACEs that eventually ended up in their study or in their report were the 10 most prevalent. But in fact, if you read the questions, many of them are combinations of multiple events. And so they did do some statistical analyses and find out which ACEs and which experiences seem to be tied to health outcomes. But they've they grouped them eventually. First, they grouped them into seven categories and then into 10 different questions. And the 10 questions included five different types of child abuse and neglect. So it includes physical abuse, sexual abuse, and emotional abuse. And it also includes physical neglect and emotional neglect. So five of the 10 have to do with abuse and neglect. The other five are under a category that sits the description of household dysfunction. And that would be a, a parent had a diagnosis of a mental illness while they were growing up. A parent was incarcerated during their childhood. They witnessed domestic violence. Their parents used substances or their parents were divorced. And these were events that occurred during the first 18 years. And some of them are, um, um, 
had modifiers when they were asked, words such as frequently or ever, depending on what the event was. And so those were known as, and now known as the 10 adverse childhood experiences. But we recognize, number one, this was a very specific limited population. This was not a population that reflected the entire world, let alone the entire United States, number one. Number two, it was 20 years ago, things have changed. There wasn't social media at that time. And um, interestingly, bullying and, and uh, adversities like that didn't come up. Um, and so um, we now take a step back and we say, all right, we had these 10 ACEs, but we now understand that the reason these 10 categories of things had this biologic effect was because it activated the stress response system in a frequent, intense manner. And so we can now work backwards and we can ask questions such as, what are events that might be occurring in your child's life that is gonna be causing their stress response to be overly activated? And we can come up with things more than 10. And a lot of these things are community violence and things that happen in school and so on. And so people may be tempted to take the ACE survey to see what is their ACE score, for instance. But it's not particularly a good reflection on how they're going to do individually. But rather, we should look at this study and ask ourselves, what can we do to help kids regulate stress reduce the amount of stress that they experience and support them in that way so that in fact, the adverse ex experiences that they have do not cause the biologic consequences that we now identify as have been caused by toxic stress. When we say people who have experienced ACEs um, what could have these biological effects, did we talk about in like the toxic stress? Um, did we talk, we, you touched on like having it intensely or deeply is the, I, I remember hearing something about like having so many different types of ACEs can add to that. Is that still part of it? Like if I have five or more, like you talked about the ACE score or is that a little bit like what you were talking about? Not as prevalent. So you are correct and you were reading correctly. And what Lydia and Anda discovered was that if you, counted up the number of yes responses for these 10 categories, the higher your number, the more likely you were to see some of these effects on your health. And so we can call that a dose response. The higher the dose, the more significant the response to them is. We also recognize that this is all rather imprecise. We're not looking at how often sexual abuse occurred. We're not looking at what ages sexual abuse occurred. We're not talking about what conditions of divorce your parents experienced. And so um, although there is this dose response from the initial ACE survey and study, we can, and we won't be surprised to say that the more stress, the more intense stress, the more prolonged stress, the greater the likelihood of seeing effects from that stress. But we have to be very careful in that message because we don't want an individual 
to open up the ACE score, answer the question, find out that they have an ACE score of six and say, all right, I am going to have a really bad life. There's nothing I can do. It does not translate that way. This is not a score to be used as an individual, as a predictor of their health. But on the other hand, it is a wake-up call to all of us to say stress matters, childhood matters, what happens during childhood matters. And we should be smart enough now, since this study was 20 years ago, to effectively and proactively change the way that we raise our children as a family and as a society to improve their outcomes. So using it on a one by one on an individual basis is really not correct, but using it on a societal basis is. And so joining forces was created to learn how to tackle this as a community. There are no easy answers. We've learned that by helping to build and foster resilience, both as an individual and as a community, help to reduce how stress is expressed within an individual. And that's our main focus to address ACEs. Number one, try to reduce the number of adverse events that a child experiences growing up. And number two, help to empower the child and the community to face that stress in ways that are not ultimately harmful. So Dr. Shapiro, you obviously have a long history of working in the community uh, with trauma and um, ACEs and all this kind of heavy stuff. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you've seen over time and um, maybe touch on some of the projects you've worked on that have resulted in dramatic improvement for some of these kids? I wish I could tell you that we have measured improvement in outcomes, but we're not there yet as a community, as programs. But what I have seen is through increased education and awareness, a acceptance of toxic stress and how we can address it together. I've seen excitement and enthusiasm and a real powerful willingness to find solutions together and to create change. And that's where we're at right now as a community. So if you take a sector such as schools, education, and if we look at or if we ask ourselves, what does this look like within schools? One, it's understanding and acceptance. So when kids have difficulty in a classroom, when they act out, instead of asking the person what's wrong with them, maybe asking what happened to them. And that's an expression that's used a lot in this work. The understanding that, in fact, let's find out what happened. Um, let's, let's seek solutions together and that what has happened can have a profound effect. Um, number two, we are looking at something called trauma-informed care. Trauma is another word often used to describe adversity, uh, the experience of adversity. 
And trauma-informed care is a way of creating an environment within the school building, within the school classroom, to address the needs of children who have experienced trauma, that who may be responding because of prior traumas, and how to create solutions for that individual, for that child, so that they can do well, so they can succeed in school rather than you know, disciplining the child or kicking them out of school, rather understanding what is needed for success rather than punishing a child. In healthcare, in healthcare, it looks different. Um, in each environment, really, it looks a little different. We're going to talk to Allison after we talk to you, and we're going to go into more detail about some of that trauma-informed care, which, uh, which, which is happening in the schools. Um, that work is so exciting. You know that that's part of what I love too, the, the education piece and how we educate people about the impact that some of the, the stress and the um, situational um, realities of some of these kids, the impact it's having on them and how do we work with them in the schools to try to overcome that. Because a lot of times that's not happening in their household. They don't have the tools to deal with it. And um, the outcomes are are um, detrimental long-term, as you talked about, and how do we overcome that? So it's very exciting that all the work that's being done. It is. And you know, Nancy, I so admire the work that you do because I know that change within schools is slow. <laughs> right? We've had that conversation. I don't like it to be slow. I push. Well, if you, It's hard, though. If you're an accelerator, that's terrific. So, you know, like I was saying earlier, we're talking about a lot of heavy stuff right now um, with uh, with childhood trauma. That's not an easy thing to hear. That's not an easy thing to take in. So to make people feel a little bit less overwhelmed or disheartened, um, what are some of the positive um, takeaways that we can share with our audience? You know, Kayla, all is not lost and experiencing adversity experiencing toxic stress as a child is not a diagnosis for the future. It does not ensure that um, you as an individual, if anyone as an individual, is going to be affected that way because there's two sides of this. There is the adversity experienced, but then there's also the resilience within us and the resilience that we learn. Resilience is something that we don't really know if we have until we're called upon to use it. And it is something that can be taught. So one, um, it means we can do something about it. It also means that people have always been doing something about it. It's just that some children grow up in environments where they are able to be more resilient than other children. Some children are probably more resilient to adversity than others, even because of their specific DNA. Um, there's a lot that goes into resilience, but as a community and as individuals, what we want to do and what our really calling is to do is to increase that resilience. And a lot of adversity is very difficult to eradicate. We are not going to stop um, children from experiencing adversity. And in fact, Experiencing adversity promotes probably a lot of strength um, and is, is, can be a good thing, but not when it's too much and not when you don't have the tools to deal with it. 
So experiencing too much adversity is never a good thing. And not all of us are equally equipped to deal with it. So how, so what's the good news? The good news is that we, we're not stuck. Um, this is not uh, something that we have to uh, be resolved in life and in society that um, uh, we're going to be affected all adversely because of our experiences. But instead, we can help to create a society that's kinder, that's stronger, that helps to provide more resilience. And many of these things um, can't be dealt with until your basic needs are met. And so for our families living in poverty until there is stable housing and food insecurity is dealt with and physical safety um, is, is addressed, you know, it's really very difficult to talk with parents about other parenting um, methods to help build resilience. It's hard for a child to succeed in school um, if they're hungry or if they can't sleep at night because of community violence. And so there's lots of ways to recognize what keeps people from being resilient. And I would tell you, Kayla, that this needs to be a community-wide effort because the solutions are really different depending on who we're talking about, where they live, what their resources are. The other thing about uh, resilience and about being impacted by adverse experiences has to do with equity. My next question, and it actually plays into that that comment, is during this COVID period and now during this um, the racial issues that we're seeing coming up right now, um, many of us are feeling stressed and overwhelmed. Um, do you have any tips for parents during this time how to help both themselves and their kids? So during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we all experienced, or we may all be experiencing added stresses. So learning how to take care of ourselves and learning how to create environments in which we can manage stress and succeed is important. And uh, we have some materials about this on our website. Um, for kids, it's maintaining a structure and a schedule, um, taking time to uh, check in with them one-on-one -on -one, um, are all really important uh, methods for us to deal with the stresses that COVID-19 have laid on top of everything else. And then uh, how about the events of this week? Are there any additional, any additional uh, recommendations that you have? So helping um, make sense out of systemic racism and the violence is really important. Kids feel unsafe. We all feel unsafe. Um, so helping to explain that, um, is um, really worthwhile. Uh, we don't have anything specific uh, this week that we've added onto our website, although we're talking about doing that this week. Helping uh, kids to understand uh, about racism, that it's not okay, uh, that it exists, that we're not gonna pretend it doesn't exist is important. Um, recognizing that um, uh, racism has been part of this country for the last 400 years, and this week we're experiencing um, uh, demonstrations and violence uh, that really have roots. So we are we're part of um, 
uh, national coalition called Building Community Resilience. And one of the graphics that they've created is something called the pair of aces um, to play on words. So uh, adverse childhood experiences are one, but the other pair are adverse community environments. And that includes racism and, um, you know, lack of housing and upward mobility, opportunity, employment. And um, they're tied in uh, together uh, to ignore uh, the adverse community environment, to ignore systemic racism would uh, really be um, uh, unfortunate because you'd be turning a blind eye to the cause of so many ACEs. Right. Well, Dr. Shapiro, thank you for being with us today. You've been very educational, and I think this information will be very helpful to our audience. Um, and I, I think the, the work of joining forces is amazing. I look forward as one in five to be working with you and um, working in some of the school situations. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for care, and thank you for caring about this issue and including us in your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we're changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our conversation on trauma-informed care. We'll be talking with Allison Savage, LPCC and Senior Specialist in Program Management at Mayerson Center for Safe and Healthy Families at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Allison will talk about the work the Joining Forces Collaborative is doing in the community, how trauma-informed care can help children in a school setting, and how we can deal with the trauma induced by COVID. See you then. You belong.